Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. This is part B. For parents, it's better to err on the side of the law than it is on grace. You err on the side of grace, you'll have a liberal child. You err on the side of law, you're either going to have an angry child or one who is overly obedient. You pick. I'll tell you, though, what the scriptures laid out for us for many, many centuries. You pick obedience without hesitation. But see, the number one thing that our flesh fights is to be mastered. That's it. The number one thing in this country, I don't know about you other countries that are listening, but I'll tell you what America is about. The number one thing that Americans fight is, I will not be your slave. Bummer. Because that happens to be the number one requirement, the second, the split second actually, that you become indwelled by Jesus Christ, you become a slave to Christ. Which means if he speaks, you jump. But that is not Western Christianity today. I'll study it first, and then I'll let you know. The foolishness of man is giving time to decide what has already been decided. If you're a discipler of that, you are promoting giving your disciplee control, unless you're using it as a lesson for that lesson. Righteousness needs no time to think. And if you truly have the Holy Spirit living inside you, and you have to think about something, you have to think about if that's right, I'm not really sure you have the Holy Spirit in you. Because the Holy Spirit does not need time to choose to obey. If you don't know your Bible and someone tells you from the church what to do, you're going to be confused. It may be a good idea that you get to know your Bible backwards and forwards, and that's how Jesus was. He knew exactly what the written word was about. It's a mixture of the two, of the word within you and the external word around you. So when some spiritual leader asks you to do something that something is not so biblical, you can actually say, no, sir, not going to do it. But see, if it's within all the biblical guidelines that have been laid out in the Holy Word, 
you say, yes, sir, I'll take care of that right away. All this starts in childhood. Now I'm going to bring more of these principles out as we talk. So, the method of madness that drives a healthy person into the chaos of betrayal is pretty simple. It classically starts with the child's attitude toward their parents. When dishonor is shown toward parents, dishonor is activated toward the child by the Lord. If you don't know your word, you didn't catch that. If you do know the word, that should probably sting a little bit. The way you as children are responding to your parents is being delivered to the throne of God. Of how God is supposed to treat you. But you know, that is not going to touch very many souls tonight. Nor is is it going to touch very many souls in the podcast over the next week. Because we cannot be told what to do as humans. We are no longer living in these Hebrew times. I always get a little surprised and sometimes even shocked when I hear Christian leaders say, I really appreciate how you bring the Hebrew into things. And I don't want to insult them, but inside what I'm thinking is, you have got to be kidding me. Everything's Hebrew. Everything. The Greeks ripped off the Hebrew and put new symbols in place to delete Hebrew. And even the writers of their time who wrote these letters that we call the New Testament is not God's intention. He uses it and will use it to the very end. It's Hebrew. There is only one language. And everything comes from Hebrew. Any Muslim knows that. Any Jew knows that. And any good theologian knows that. You study other languages that came from pictorial Hebrew, then modern Hebrew, and so forth and so on. It's the key, it's the foundation, because it's the customs and laws of God. So when dishonor is being displayed by this child, they are actually activating something in heaven. What is bound on earth is bound in heaven. What is released on earth is released in heaven. Why can't we get that peace? You bind someone up with your rebellion and you're getting the same thing done on the other side. You release someone. Even Jesus himself said, how can you expect me to forgive you if you do not forgive your brother? That's the principle he's talking about. That we take it as relative or subjective today. 
Because we don't believe that things actually function in heaven this way to this day. We are moving into Generation Z. There are Zers sitting here tonight. It will be the most lost generation the world has ever seen. Lazy, lackadaisy, slothful, can't be told what to do, can't be directed, can't be formed. They're no longer pieces of clay, they're bowls of jello. And they're indulgent, and all they want to do is to feed their own ownership, which makes them Lord, which makes them a God. Which was the first sin put upon and in front of Eve. It was the first sin for humanity to commit. Why? Because in heaven we had this, this being called Lucifer who wanted ownership of the throne of God. And you think that goal and perspective has changed in this generation? Parents, listen. Your children and grandchildren are going to set off the most dangerous generation in mankind. 602-292-2982. Pastors, you think we have lost the church today, as I hear from many of you, and you hear from many other pastors, that you're just not infecting and affecting the church anymore? Well, I'm here to tell you, you've seen nothing yet. We are seeing people bought up by the universal emergent world more and more faster and faster than we have ever seen in any generation in the past. And it all starts with these, these little ones we're calling children. And it's going to set off a whole world of chaos for the child that ultimately cannot be overpowered by their own hatred. It moves itself into civil dishonor, which is running the traffic light or driving without a license or, or, or we get pulled over by a cop and you say, really? Really? You're stopping me now? Like the cop's the idiot. That's where we're at. There's more of that to come. So it moves itself into civil dishonor and ends with the fate of being trapped by demonic doctrines. They start saying to you as mommy and daddy or pastor or teacher, whoever you are, but the Lord said this to me. What, to divorce your spouse? The Lord said that to you? The Lord said to you to murder him? Is this what the Lord said to you? The Lord said to you that there's many pathways to God. The Lord said this to you? Or was it your owner? And who is your owner? Who really does own you? Speak forth this God of yours. I want to talk to him. Because he's a liar. 602-292-2982. Any owner that does not speak the life of Christ, the truth, 
and it does not match the written word, is a bad owner. Your Rob Bell God is not God. This is a huge problem we have in front of us. Ultimately, what happens is got to come up with your own kind of Jesus. I know the new millennial Jesus is the big buzzword now. But you can put any name you want in there. Your favorite author, your favorite television show, your favorite football player, your, your favorite speaker, your favorite preacher. Put anyone in there you want if it's not God who is getting the direct credit through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through that speaker, it is a very bad owner. We tend to mimic the behavior of the God that we create. This firmly puts the child in the position of refuting guidance from the church, spiritual fathers, and typically in every form of authority present in their world. The result is they become unteachable unless the course they teach themselves through detached listening from those who cannot tell them what to do. And that's called, some of you listening to this podcast, don't go to church. This is not church. Church is where you gather together with saints so that the Spirit can overflow through each of the saints to encourage, bless, lift up, correct, instruct, confront each other. I am very, very cautious about publicly correcting in a church environment because most would never return. And that was the standard function of the church up to the early 1900s. Well, that's gone. Let's take a look at eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I think they call that vengeance. Matthew 5, 38 through 42, is a very famous passage. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist. Do not resist an evil person. And whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. These are opposite of what the Western civilization functions by today. So people of betrayal read opposite of this. The verse that we just read is actually impossible for a betrayer to follow. Outright impossible. They tend to translate the passage in this way. Listen carefully. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, this is good doctrine. Resist an evil person, and whoever slaps you on the right cheek, refuse them the other. Fight back. If anyone wants to see you and take what belongs to you, don't let him. Sue him. 
Whoever will force you to go a mile, detach yourself from them, countersue, and go about your own way. Do not give to him or everyone who asks of you, and turn away from those who want to use you. That's classically what a betrayer says, because you have to remember what we said last week, a betrayer is into their own self-doctrine. You worship me. Self-doctrine. So therefore they start putting demands on those around them. Let's talk about the tender response as bridal members. At this juncture, we must remember how tenderly our beloved Master Jesus, yes, he is your master. So we have to remember how tenderly our beloved Master Jesus speaks of and to his bridal members. If we're ever going to have a meeting or an encounter with our betrayer, we must release the spirit from within to do the reconciliation. Matthew 18.6 If there's any other motives of it like self being diligently at work, this meeting will cause the offender and the confronter to stumble, giving the devil an opportunity to take full control of that meeting or conversation. Neither the offender or the confronter should be despised in the process, Matthew 18.10. Keep in mind that each has an angel assigned from the Father. The Spirit of Jesus is present, and any offense in the meeting is a direct offense on Jesus. Any offense against Jesus is also an offense against the Father. The goal here is not to stop the gossiper, betrayer. The goal is to restore a brother unto the Father to save them from their own consequences. And believe it or not, as the scriptures clearly make clear to us, the church. It used to be people feared having to be dealt with by the church. Today, the church is impotent. We're liberal. We are the passive parents that let our children sloth themselves through life without daring to confront what is going on in your pews. 602-292-2982. Here's a fact. It's impossible to reconcile with an unsaved person. Just impossible. Assuming the obvious, when we have sinned against our brother, we must seek him out and be reconciled with him. So you have it in your head. You know you did something to hurt someone. So common sense is basically you go and reconcile with that person. Well, that's not what's being brought out here. The process that's being brought out here is a little more difficult. But when our brother has sinned against us, We are to make three efforts before we can give them over as an unbeliever. That's what Matthew 18, 17 is all about. You don't just turn them over and do this little detachment thing. There's a process that you want to go through to make sure. So here's that note. 
It is impossible to be reconciled with an unbeliever, someone who does not have the indwelling life of Jesus living within them. It's impossible. Reconciliation is the process of becoming one in the perfect bond of unity provided by the Spirit and that lives in the body of Christ. Unbelievers cannot be reconciled unless they are reconciled unto Christ by being translated into the kingdom of light, the domain of reconciliation, which is what we call salvation. So to expect an unbeliever to forgive you is ridiculous. You see, when someone comes and seeks your forgiveness, which I had someone do this this week, my response is always, Christ has already forgiven you. And if they try to bring it into me personally, but I'm asking you for forgiveness, if it does go into that, and occasionally it does, I just say I have no power to forgive you, so no. But see, Christ in me says yes. And yes, he forgives you through me. See, that is doctrines that are straight and tight. And it's not asking God for forgiveness as you go to sleep tonight when you say, oh God, please forgive me for blank. That is an immature believer. Christ provided forgiveness for you on the cross many years ago. He doesn't throw himself back up on that holy cross and frees himself in the form of a brass statue that bleeds occasionally. He does not. That act was done once, and when he said it's finished, it is finished. His death is finished, his burial is finished, his resurrection is finished, his ascension is finished, and being seated at the right hand of his daddy, his Abba, is finished. When you go to God, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit tonight, and you want to acknowledge your sin, that's what you're doing, acknowledging it. Then you close that sin with, God, thank you, through your Son, Jesus, thank you for already forgiving me for the sin that I committed today. That's a good idea. And it's also a sign that you understand the exchanged life. When you are begging and pleading with God to repeat something he already did for you, you're asking him to re-crucify himself. He won't do it. When he says, for I have wiped away your transgressions and I remember not your sins anymore, I dare you to call him a liar. And constantly throw your sins before his face. Just say thank you for wiping away my sins. The unbelievers cannot find life from death. Life can only be found in life. Does that not make sense? Just wondering here. Life can only be found in life. You can't find life in death. 
Your salvation came through life. You were saved by Jesus' life. The death process that he went through was to get rid of your old self, your, your crud, the Adamic nature. That's what death was for. But you were actually saved on the other side of that coin through the life of Jesus. You're saved by life. You can only have life from life. To place the seal of reconciliation in human relationships, one must be born into the ministry of reconciliation. Allow me to quote that verse to you. Romans 11:15 says, For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You cannot have reconciliation without life. You cannot have life without Jesus. And you cannot have experiential life unless you exchange your life for his and become indwelt by the living God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 tells us this. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of healing. Oh, I'm sorry. He gave us the ministry of music. Wait, wait, okay, I was wrong. He gave us the ministry of pastoring. Oh, wait, wait, no. Okay. He gave us the ministry of children, children's ministry. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There's only one ministry minister. Listen carefully. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions, trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, God doesn't get his way 100%. He does not get to reconcile the world to himself. He gave this thing called choice. Choose whom this day who you will serve. He also knows that the road to destruction is wide and many are on it. The road to heaven is narrow and fewer on it, which those of you who are quite familiar and dedicated to Hebrew, you know that is the percentage of tithing. Ten percent are probably on the road that is narrow. Ninety percent are on the wide road that, yes, cover your ears if you do not want to hear the straight gospel. 90% go to hell. So you see, God doesn't get this whole thing done in 100% fashion. It is to those whom have been chosen to say, 
Yes. Why does that matter? Let's take a look. All this to say our goal is not to put an end to the horrid gossip and betrayal coming from the offender, but rather to restore one back, and sometimes for the first time, to Christ. You see, the goal for God in providing reconciliation through his son was was not to stop you from sinning. It was actually for the purpose of reconciliation, of, of reconciling that person back into the Father so they can enjoy intimacy, as Jesus called his Father, two names, Abba, which in the Hebrew is Dada, and Father, which means the head, the owner. So he's actually saying, Dada, owner, Dada, owner, and most of you kids won't do that after you're seven years of age. I'd love to give the homework assignment to children this week at 602-292-2982. Is every time you want to slip out with mom, dad, just for one week, you say, owner, hey, owner, can I have a piece of bread with peanut butter and jelly on it? Thank you, honor. You can even say it real intimately like this. Honor! <laughs> See? She already knows. It is the same. And what is being communicated to us here is that when you have that kind of dependency as Jesus had on his father, it's just no big deal. It's no big deal at all. If this is the goal for the confronter, Jesus commits himself to assign the spirit, his presence to that meeting. For where there are two or more gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. I'll be there also. Matthew 18, 20. So the key is in my name. See, that is, that is our master. He just made it clear in an earlier passage that Jesus, our master. Jesus is our master, which also means owner. So you see, if it's in my owner's name, you don't have to worry about anything results-wise if it's done in the name of the Father. Because Jesus did it in the name of the Father. Holy Spirit does it in the name of Jesus. And that's why you always pray in Jesus' name. I pray. It's because what's what the Holy Spirit's praying through you. It is in Jesus' name. It's all done by the name. Because name means owner. Who owned you? What's your name? You see, most people don't care if your name's Bob. They want to know what your last name is. Who's your owner? Who's your generational owner? Well, Bob, 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 Bob. If you pass that thing down, 
who in the world's Bob and where is Bob? But see, Bob Jones, you can track Jones. You can't track Bob. Try it on Genie sometime. You'll get as far as the word you typed. It's the last name that carries the bearing ownership. Same thing in respects to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, and Jesus to his Father. Identity matter statement today. The oddity presented to us here is, it's assumed that each member of this meeting that you're trying to conduct to work these things out houses the Holy Spirit from within. It means they're all born again. What's the big deal regarding Jesus communicating with the above statement? It's pretty simple. Having the Holy Spirit living inside a believer does not guarantee that the believer will release the spirit during conflict. Most don't. Having a special assignment by Jesus to make known his external presence by way of the spirit adds the biblical confirmation of the spirit bearing witness with the spirit. That's pretty simple. This is how the discernment process is to activate to determine if the offender is a Gentile or tax gatherer, which are the two labels that are used for unsaved people in the first generation after Jesus died. That's all out of Matthew 18 if you want to read it. But this is a very sensitive topic and... I am well aware of the simple fact that 90% of our listeners probably have blown it off to a certain capacity because it's just really too tough to listen to, let alone too tough to listen to an abrasive preacher. But I'm telling you, the principles here for children and their parents and to make that connection that however it is that they are reacting or responding to their parents it is being collected by the living God. I understand that. But I'm appealing to the 10% who really want the truth and really want to be set free. There are tons of discipleship materials available, not just on our website at www.iomamerica.org, but there's gracefellowshipinternational.com. There's, you literally type in ELM or Galatians 2.20 Network. There are thousands of ministries teaching the freeing truths of who you are in Christ. Contact somebody and learn about your identity in Christ. Join us again next week as we continue our little series on betrayal. So we're going to take our topic that we dabbled with tonight and break it down in a very serious fashion. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, Thank you for joining us.